Okay, Katiana, today we're talking about body-focused repetitive disorders. Can you just like explain what it is in as plain English as yeah. you can? Yeah, they always come up with the most bizarre, um, you know, difficult ways of pronouncing things, right? Uh, but essentially, body-focused repetitive behaviors, mm-hmm. or BFRB, as some people have sort of heard of, um, is basically a type of, as the name suggests, a repeated action that's centered around sort of your body. So it can be your hair, it can be, ooh. <laughs> it can be your hair, it can be your fingernails, it can be sort of like little, you know, parts of your arm or your or your legs. Um, so anything that's sort of focused on your body that you kind of pick at repeatedly, often without realizing that you're doing it to the point where it starts to alter your appearance. So um, I think the most common that people are hearing nowadays is uh, trichotillomania. I mean, probably yeah. pro- I'm probably botching how I'm pronouncing. It. No, no, that um, sounds correct, actually. <laughs> <laughs> the key is to say it really fast, and then it sounds like you're getting it right. <laughs> yeah. um, or, or what we call compulsive hair pulling. So people who are tugging at their hair so much that it's causing sort of bald spots for people to lose their hair. What? That's the yeah, so that's like the most common one that we're hearing about. Um, and so it's it's normal to bite your nails. It's normal to, you know, kind of like, you know, fiddle with, with like, you know, your skin and stuff. But if it's starting to get to the point where it is affecting your appearance, um, then it's considered um, a, a BFRB. However, it is not yet something that is formally acknowledged in the clinical books or the DSM-5 that we use in, in the field. Um, instead, they've kind of put it as sort of and obsessive compulsive behavior. So mm. under the OCD umbrella of behaviors, um, but we do acknowledge that unlike OCD, which is triggered by an anxiety, so you have a compulsive behavior to manage sort of your fear of something happening, BFRB doesn't happen to exist around any type of anxiety. So people are not doing it because they're anxious. It's often a very unconscious uh, thing that they do. So that's where it kind of doesn't really fall into the category. Um, And so that's why identifying triggers might be a bit more challenging. So are you saying that you could have um, the trichotillomania or dermatillomania mm. and it be either OCD, meaning mm. it's triggered when you're anxious about mm-hmm. whatever, or you could have it and it is a, um, a body-focused repetitive behavior, yes. uh, which is not OCD if it's not something that's triggered, but something that's just sort of you're unconsciously doing all the time. Yes, so it's uh, so that's kind of why it has become sort of a bit of a a bit of a mystery right. in the psych world uh, because it's not it doesn't seem to be triggered by any type of anxiety or emotional change, right? But it is something that soothes us. So I guess the it's most like a stim. It's it's almost like a stim, yeah, exactly. Right. And so it's sort of something that we um that we do to kind of self soothe. So a very simple example would be, you know, like with babies. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's had an infant would know that they have all these little quirks that they do when they're unhappy or when they're trying to soothe themselves to sleep. Uh, they might kind of nuzzle their face into a pillow, or they might kind of. Um, I have a I have a nephew who's who ha- who did this thing where he always had to kind of uh, touch. He always had to be touching his mom's elbow. Which whenever he was going to bed. So these are all like little um, self-soothing things that they Mm -hmm. do that are not triggered by anxiety, that are not triggered by anything, but it's how they calm themselves. And BFRB is exactly like that. So people will bite their nails or people will tug at their hair because it's soothing, 
but it's not soothing any type of anxiety or fear. I hope that makes some sense. But wait, so you're saying it starts even when they're babies? What? So yeah, so that's the thing about BFRB. So um, you know, I, I did a little extra research on this, and it actually is something that is often uh, the onset is often in sort of your early childhood years. So if we're dealing with infants and toddlers, a lot less likely that it's BFRB and more sort of something uh, sensory related. So like a skin, like as Asha was saying, mm-hmm. it's more sort of a sensory related thing. But if we're looking at primary schoolers, for example, um, it is uh, usually the onset. It is very rare that BFRB starts in adulthood. So it's usually something that starts as, as a child. Yeah. So if it does start in adulthood, is that more likely that it's more on the OCD Probably. umbrella? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. All right. So um, with body focus, repetitive disorders, are there many different types when you talked about the baby rubbing and stuff or, oh. or are there a few main ones that kind of are more commonplace that we could mm. sort of be mentioning? So, so according to the latest uh, diagnostic and statistical manual that we have, so the DSM-5, which is the most recent one that we have, they've gone forward to acknowledge uh, trichotillomania and uh, dermatillomania as two separate things. Oh, sorry, not dermatillomania, the, the skin picking one, the expiration okay. disorder. Yeah. yeah. So there are two conditions that have now been acknowledged as two separate occurrences so mm-hmm. trichotillomania the hair pulling one mm-hmm. that i mentioned yeah. and also um uh, the excoriation disorder which is the skin picking those are two conditions that the dsm has acknowledged as actual disorders so when people are being quote unquote diagnosed with mm-hmm. these body focused repetitive behaviors the criteria is actually that they don't have either of these things so it's everything but this two Right. And and I don't know why they've done that, but it's like we've got names for the other two. So for the other behaviors that don't fall under this two, they fall under this um, otherwise specified OCD category. Right. Um, The line line line. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the line line. Thank you. Exactly. The line lines, right? Um, but we in the in the field refer them as to as BFRB. So the hair pulling and the skin picking are the two most common ones. Um, others that are quite sort of uh, well noted are the excessive nail biting. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce the name for it because it's just a tongue twister. So excessive nail biting or nail or the or picking of the skin around your fingernails. There's also sort of um, ones that are fixated on sort of the mouth area. So picking of sort of the dry scabs around your lips, biting the inside of your mouth and your tongue. Um, so those are other presentations that have been documented, but definitely the hair pulling and the skin picking are the two most common ones. All right. So you've kind of uh, laid the groundwork for us in terms of what it is and what it isn't um, mm. and what it could be. But mm. how do I know if my child just has a habit of like sort of hair twiddling? Yeah, OK, mm. a few hairs get pulled, but that's what happens when you kind of mm. repetitively do that sort of thing mm-hmm. um, or it's the beginnings of BFRB or even mm-hmm. BFRB and it is going to be problematic very soon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I think that there's that's sort of the gray line that a lot of people are trying really hard to define. Um, but generally what we do look at is if it's starting to impact appearance and function. So say, for example, they are, so if we take like the nail biting, for example, if they're biting their nails so severely that they're causing open wounds um, or if they're causing kind of... <laughs> Soreness, yeah, JD just checked his... Like, like, <laughs> um, and so like, if it's causing open 
open wounds, which is actually a very common thing because they're doing it so unconsciously, right? Which yeah. is one of also the cornerstones of BFRB mm. is that you're doing it so unconsciously that you're not doing it because you want to hurt yourself. And that's also a, a very big uh, distinction that people are trying to educate others about. That it's not similar to sort of a self-harm thing, mm. even though you will have the scars and the marks that look like you're doing it to hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. So um, going back to the nail biting example, if you're if you're if they're doing it to the point where they are creating sort of open wounds and they're bleeding, um, and of course that's going to affect their functioning because you're putting yourself at risk for infection and things like that. Um, or if they're hair pulling to the extent where yes they're losing a few hairs, but maybe they're causing sort of like actual scarring or they're losing big chunks and patches of hair. Mm. Um, that is usually a really big sign for parents that they probably need to have it looked at. So if it's altering their appearance and if it's affecting their functioning. Um, so those are the two sort of areas where we tell people to kind of reach out. Mm. So, you know, I think here, I mean, when I was growing up, I don't know whether, whether it's changed or not, when I was growing up, like I had friends who sort of bit their, their nails mm. um, and, you know, teachers and parents are like, well, get the ruler out and smack yeah, your yeah, hands, yeah. right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, and one of those uh, ladies I know now as a sort of adult, um, yeah who has to get, uh, what do you call it, gel nails put on because they can't be bitten easily. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. What, <laughs> what do you mean? Is that you, Katiana? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm a... It's hard to bite. I mean, with, with our natural nails, it's easy to sort of tear off a bit and chew yes. everything. Yes, um, But I, she was quite sort of traumatized by that whole thing. And so, mm. it, it, you know, I, I wonder, you know, when you're sort of talking about parents who perhaps don't like the fiddling or the twiddling because mm. you know i think stimming is very much misunderstood and i'd love to do another program with you about that yes, another time yeah. um you know they think it's a problem so mm. it, it's kind mm. of like it's i want to get i wanted i had one um parent that i knew from school a couple mm. of years ago i mm. want to get this stopped before it becomes a problem but it it yeah. really wasn't it was the girl who just sat there her hair was already tied in a ponytail and she was yeah. just twirling a finger around the whole mm -hmm. the whole ponytail mm -hmm. um but it became this sort of big drama so mm. you know i suppose before it gets to the point that your hair is being pulled out mm. is there a, a, a way to gauge whether it, it could be problematic and therefore we, we try and figure this out before mm -hmm. I mean, you know, generally speaking, again, you know, figure out if it's something that they're doing more con uh, more uh, frequently in the presence of some type of stressor. So the first thing we got to figure out if it is related to stress and anxiety, right? Because the solution for that is quote unquote simple in that we address the anxiety and the behaviors will stop. So if that's the case, then do that. But if it isn't something they're doing out of like stress, right? So she's about to present in front of class and it's something that she's doing um, out of stress, then it's something that is unconscious, right? And so one of the techniques that we tell parents to do is to just uh, divert the attention. So a lot easier to do with younger children is if you notice them kind of doing that, then what you want to do is just very casually without reprimand, just pull their hand away and put it on their lap and give them something else to, to, to fiddle with, right? So it's about kind of drawing their attention away from doing that. And after a while, it kind of becomes becomes uh, quite natural. And so like, you know, we were discussing earlier, finding substitutions, right? Um, but when it comes to kind of what to look out for, I would tell parents, do not assume that anything is a problem until you start seeing if it makes them 
uh, it, it affects their ability to function, right? Because I can understand how with so much more information on the internet, parents are becoming so much more uh, self-conscious, so much more concerned about what is normal everyday behavior. So it is okay for your child to twirl their hair. It is okay for your child to bite their nails occasionally, right? But if it is starting to impact their dysfunction, if they're getting sick, if they're losing patches of hair, if all of these things are happening, then it's a problem. But just kind of keep an eye out, try to distract them, divert their attention, move their hand away, pull their hand out of their mouth if they're biting, um, do those sorts of things. And naturally, if there's no sort of deeper meaning behind it, they will kind of get the memo after a while. Did you sort out your nail biting issue, Katya? Yeah, nails. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how to say this because I would like to say yes, but every single person who's who knows me, and I'm sure my fiance is listening to this, and he's just like, "No, she hasn't." Um, and so it is something that I, but I do notice it's something I do more often when I am sedentary. So when I'm writing a paper, or if I'm, you know, writing a report, or you know, sort of taking notes, that's usually the moment where I notice that I'm biting my nails more often. It doesn't happen when I'm stressed. It doesn't happen when I'm presenting. Notice how I haven't done it at all while I'm talking to you today. Um, but you're just sitting there talking to us with your hands yeah. like stretched so far, yeah, just kind of like behind the camera. Um, but but the one thing. And, and going back to what we talked about shame, right? It is something that I've noticed that as I grew older, I gesticulate a lot. So you notice how my hands are moving. And I believe that that's also because it stops people from actually looking at my mm. fingernails. So you do, as you age, become very, very self-conscious over what sort of... Um, over the appearance of it, right? So like um, I have girls with the hair pulling issue who are constantly like worried about wigs and caps and scarves and just wanting to hide it. It's so shameful. So the way that I dealt with it was, you know, I tried the no bite bitter nail polish. I developed a taste for it after a while. So that's what is <laughs> you, you kind of just soldier on after a while. Well, people um, do that with coffee, you know, coffee exactly. doesn't necessarily taste nice the first time, yeah. but you soldier on. Um, and so one of the things that works for me is I often have so I have this at the I actually have a fidget cube. Um, oh, which I carry right. at the office. Uh, but then I realized that it makes a noise. You can actually hear the clicking. So I was announcing my arrival when I walked in the hospital because of the noise. So I'm looking for a quieter one. But I do carry this because it helps me to kind of keep my hands busy. Um, and then I also, you know, ensure that I get kind of like a gel thing on it so that it's harder to bite through. Um, so you can imagine with MCO and everything being closed, it hasn't been the easiest. But you find ways to kind of distract yourself um, and to kind of work around it. But yeah, it's important to not make it a negative experience because like you were saying, some parents have had, you know, rotan on the hands and things like that. So yeah. So basically all the things that you've sort of employed in, for yourself, tactics, is yes. these are the things that parents can do at yeah. home with yeah. their kids sort of yeah. give them something to hold or whatever is, is mm -hmm. sort of related to that behavior um, and keep distracting them yeah so okay. like till, 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 day, till today like my fiance just gra casually like grabs my arms and pulls my hands away from my mouth if he notices me doing it okay that's good so Katiana how important is it to seek professional help and, and mm. why mm. 
you know, there's still so much stigma and so much hesitation about getting professional help because people still feel that engaging a therapist or a psychiatrist confirms that there's something wrong with you, right? But ultimately, we as like everyone in the in the medical and allied health field, we're just trying to figure out how to help, right? And how to fix whatever is going wrong with you. So this the, the example that I would go with is say, for example, you're having pain in your leg, um, you would want to go and get it assessed because the pain in your leg could come from a break, right? Having broken your leg, or it could come from a severe sprain. But the treatment methodologies would be very different depending on the nature of the pain, right? right, right. So very similar with this situation, if we are, say, for example, dealing with a child who is hair pulling as an anxiety response or an OCD response, mm-hmm our treatment methods or the way with which that we intervene and advise families on what to do differs greatly from a child who's doing this for sensory reasons or for BFRB reasons, right? Um, Because with the former, we'd be wanting to look at how to cope with the anxiety. Um, But if we are giving, say, for example, sensory techniques and distraction techniques for a child who's actually struggling with anxiety, we're not fixing the core problem, Right. right? So one of the statements that I tell all of the clients that I see is that to me, if the diagnosis or the label bothers you and worries you, rest assured that that's really not what we care about. We mm-hmm. diagnose or we assess for the purpose of intervention. That's actually the, the, the right. term um, that we use. Um, so it's about kind of making sure that we're supporting you or your child or whoever that you're concerned about in the right way. Is there anything like, say I'm a, a parent and I suspect perhaps that my child has a problem. Now, I don't know mm. whether it's anxiety-based um, mm. after listening to this program or mm. or it's just a behavior, um, mm. but I can sort of sense something's going on. Mm. Um, is there anything it, that would be helpful to the mm-hmm. doctor to mm-hmm. sort of take a note of mm-hmm. um, and keep in mind or even watch out for alongside that to maybe help expedite mm-hmm. the sort of diagnosis part or the treatment part? For Mm -hmm. the doctor? So, I mean, we are fully aware that when we see our clients who come to us, it is a snapshot in time, right? So it's very possible that it is not a full representation of what the child or what the client is experiencing day to day. So one of the things I teach parents to do is called the ABC method. Mm -hmm. And you can Google this because it's a well um, utilized, well-respected method that teachers are using as well uh, to help track behavior. So ABC stands for A is antecedent, B is behavior, C is consequence. So what we're trying to do is to draw a dotted line between the triggers or what was happening in the child's environment before the behavior. So that's where the antecedent comes in. So what was your child doing when the behavior started? Were they they watching TV sort of by themselves? Did they get into an altercation with someone? Were you getting upset with them? Try to um, explore the environment just prior and during that behavior. And then hypothetically, that occurred. Therefore, the behavior was triggered, the hair pulling, nail biting, whatever it is. And then as a result of that behavior, what happened next? So did the child um, need to isolate themselves? Did you come and comfort comfort the child? So that gives us an idea of whether there was a function to that behavior. 
right? So that's the ABC method. And please, all parents who are listening, Google it. There are already templates available online that you can download if you malas to kind of do it yourself that explains what we do. And I give the ABC method to everyone who comes to see me. Um, and again, most teachers are aware of it. So I often get teachers proactively sending me the ABC charts. Um, and that gives us an idea of the patterns in the child's behavior. So I would tell parents, keep about a fortnight's worth of events or, or entries. Um, and then when you bring that in to see a doctor or a therapist, they'd be able to, to uh, go through it and look for patterns. So say, for example, like myself, oh, surprisingly, she does it more often when she's sort of, you know, distracted with something, right? So that would give us an idea of when to intervene and what types of um, coping skills or substitutions we want to give to the child. Question. Hmm. I know Asho's exactly. Staring at me. Yeah, because I was clicking. I was just cracking my bones. Does that count? Cracking your yeah. your knuckles. I mean, not something that we have fully acknowledged yet. Cracking your knuckles. I think that it's something. I mean, I do agree that it's something that people do for relief, but it's not something that has been fully acknowledged yet. So maybe if more enough people who yeah. come forward with it, they might acknowledge it one day. Um, but no, I don't <laughs> think so. Because I think it's, it's not that. It's an Asian thing. I'm sure of it. It's an Asian behavior. So many times, like, sit there and you go through the motion. And sometimes I've seen people, they have a whole system. It's got to be done. Like, that's when the OCD sort of comes yes. in, the, the system of the yeah. repetition. Yeah. Hey, anyway. for me, it's either cracking my knuckles or just digging my nose. So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's just uh, leave it there and move on. Yeah. <laughs> Kajana, you know, you've uh, mentioned that you sort of have your own biting nails and, and mm. you've tried all sorts of things accustomed to the taste. Mm -hmm. uh, using gels to sort of defer, you know, fidget toys. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the other major challenges when it comes to treating and managing BFRB from mm -hmm. a, a, from your standpoint as a doctor, mm -hmm. and also from the patient's side mm -hmm. as well as the parents? Mm. Because you know, unlike OCD or anything that's linked to anxiety, there's nothing that we can go in and fix it's an unconscious uh, behavior in a way right so it's kind of like um you know i've got uh, i've got this this like uh, open wound on my arm um and i'm not doing anything to cause it i didn't do anything to cause it it just kind of happened right and so trying to help people in terms of prevention becomes very very challenging right because there's no there's no issue that we can actually target so it's right? like a habit so it's, it's like trying habit. to change a habit exactly it is exactly that. It's one hundred percent a bad habit um, that um, that people do without realizing it, right? And so, you know, that term. I'm glad you brought up the term "bad habit" because as I was going through the literature, I noticed that it is something that a lot of people do tend to look at BFRB as a habit, and therefore something you should just get over, right? Oh and that's my where gosh! Of the, I'm yeah. sorry, it's outrageous. Yeah. Yeah, it's horrible. Like, you know, and sometimes they just feel like it's just something you just need to just stop biting your nails. I've had, if I had a penny for every time someone told me growing up, just stop biting your nails. Um, and I was just like, tell me how, you know, I can't stop something I don't realize I'm doing. And that is where a lot of the frustration comes from with people, right? It's because they don't realize they're doing it most of the time. So therapeutically, it makes it a, a very complex or it makes it a, a challenge for us for sure, because we don't have a very concrete process problem or, or condition that we're trying to address. It's all about repetition, 
right? It's all about teaching them substitutions, teaching them to be more aware of when they do it, not so much the why, um, and then coming up with solutions for that. Yes, there are medications. Certain medications have been shown to show some type of improvement. Uh, I believe the current statistics about 20 in 20% of the people who go down the medicinal route have found some type of benefit. But generally, as a whole, they do believe that talk therapy, counseling, cognitive behavior therapy um, are the types of um, interventions that have been shown to improve the outcome of BFRB. Um, and But it, it is definitely a challenge for sure. What about something like, like what Astra does, like hypnotherapy, doesn't that? Stop it. Stop biting your nails and stuff like that. <laughs> well, that's the interesting thing. Like in my experience, like, you know, I've had so many, I can't tell you how many people come up going, I want help to stop smoking. But the thing is, if they don't really want to stop smoking or there's something in it that they're getting a, what you call a secondary gain from that behavior, mm-hmm. um, it then becomes very difficult because you need to kind of be in alignment with really wanting something to happen. Yeah. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't know if you'd agree yeah, with no, that. That's that's absolutely true. Um, you know, hypnotherapy has shown so much improvement or so much benefit for a lot of people. But I think there's also. Um, you know, with ed- like with any type of therapy, it really depends on the person's own mindset. So mm. even though you know, I I might say I should. I should quit smoking but if I'm getting some type of benefit from it then no amount of therapy is going to work because deep down you kind of aren't ready to do that yet so you know with with BFRB it's it's you know I've seen a lot of people become you know very very self-conscious about it especially when it's something that's so obvious as like the hair pulling yeah or even on nails as you said yeah yeah you know so you notice me and my moving hands constantly Mm -hmm. right and so that's just it's something that is very very shameful to a lot of people so the people who have gotten to that stage where they feel they can't function in society because of the impact of it, they're the ones who are the most committed towards getting a solution. So they will do the homework, they will come to therapy. But then for some people who might have um, you know, scars that they can hide or who don't feel like it's that big of an issue, they might not be as motivated to get, to get help. And this applies for everything, actually. So um, with that in mind, sort of, if you don't go and seek professional help, and nothing you're doing on, on your side is actually working. And in mm. fact, the habit's getting worse because, as you know, sometimes when you shine a spotlight on something, it's become forefront of your mind. So the, yep. sort of the compulsion is even more readily accessible. But at the same time, so is the, the sort of the, after that one sort of millisecond of the sort of dopamine hit or whatever mm-hmm. that comes from it, you know, then you go into that shame spiral or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. If we don't have professional help or help that Mm. actually works, you know, Mm. what's the severity of of this kind of situation, which by Mm. itself is just a habit that's actually Mm. not helpful. Mm. But if out of hand and gone for long enough, how Mm. can it be damaging? It is something that we're looking at it becoming a physical problem, right? Because like I mentioned earlier, like with the nail biting, for example, um, one of the biggest challenges is that because when you're biting and you don't realize you're doing it, you could cause yourself to have open wounds and cuts. Um, And because it's on our hands, which is something that we use probably the most often day to day, we could be touching dirty surfaces and things which could then welcome infection and bacteria going into these open wounds, right? Um, With hair pulling, you could get to yourself to a stage where you're pulling it so much that you're now affecting your bra- your body's ability to regrow the hair, resulting in permanent bald patches. So these are some of the severe long-term side effects of BFRB or, you know, these behaviors that are not getting, you know, help with, right? Um, and so, you know, and, and 
that's kind of where not trying to scare people. This is what we, you know, we try to tell people to keep an eye out for because it's unconscious. You might not realize it. Like even myself, I've had moments where I look down and like, oh, okay, there's like an open cut on my finger, and we don't even realize that that has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, imagine going through my day, and I work with kids, and I'm constantly dealing with finger paints and 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 kinetic sand and things like that, and you know, and and the consequences of that getting into my bloodstream. So it is something that we have to be aware of um, for younger children who are nail biting, dirty hands into mouth. You know, um, I've got cases of younger children constantly getting things like tonsillitis and infections because they're putting their hands in their mouth all the time. So. From a medical perspective, it has consequences if it gets quite bad, for sure. Katjana, as with everything and anything sort of un, un, not understood fully, there are mm-hmm. a lot of sort of myths around that are quite damaging mm-hmm. um, that actually, you know, compound the stigma. So mm-hmm. can you give us a few um, of sort of the, the main common myths surrounding mm-hmm. um, surrounding this and let's just, you know, blow them wide open so that, you know, we lessen the cool. stigma. Yeah. So definitely the first uh, myth that I've come across during all the research is that it's something that um, only affects women, right? And that's definitely not true. And I think that this applies to a lot of conditions in the sort of psychiatric world um, where it might sort of skew towards one particular gender. Um, and that's just often because these are the people who are more commonly coming forward. And I think it's because of sort of the, the sort of... Um, appearance side of it and the being very self-conscious about the appearance so yes women are more likely to come forward and I believe from the statistic that I have up here uh, 90% of the adult clients that get help for BFRB are female so definitely it looks like it Mm -hmm. um, but there does not seem to be uh, something that is exclusive to women there are men as well who come forward with BFRB Um, the next common thing is that it's something um, that Uh, happens in adulthood. Uh, From what we do know about BFRB, it is very common. uh, The onset is very common sort of in the late primary to kind of like teen years. Uh, It is very rare that it appears sort of in adulthood or in infancy, so very early on in life. Mm -hmm. Um, If that's sort of happening, like we talked about earlier, it's probably better explained by other things like OCD or sensory or stimming behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is something that's kind of more in the primary to high school age. Um, one of the other things that I think we've touched on as well is that it's something that's conscious and something that they're doing is a self-harm. Um, it definitely isn't. It is an unconscious behavior, not linked at all to self-harm behavior um, and not something they can definitely control. Um, and you know, very so much Stop telling them to stop it. That's not helping. Stop yeah. telling them to stop it. Yes, yeah. that can help with awareness, but it's not going to make it go away. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely something. Um, and then also... Um, you know, they've they've talked, I, I've actually heard this in session as well, where they've talked about how uh, these people might be that they don't care about their appearance and they're doing it for attention. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also definitely not the case. They're not doing this because they want people to, to pay attention to them. In right. fact, it can be very debilitating um, and it can even to extreme extents prevent people from wanting to socialize out of shame. So it's definitely not a positive thing. So those are the common ones that I hear, I think. Fantastic. I think that's um, super helpful actually right. so it's, if I'm a parent after mm. listening to all this and you're freaking out I'm like oh my goodness what am, what am I going to do with my kid starting to pull the hair and everything step yeah. one if I suspect that my kid has this so what do I do mm. call Katiana 
<laughs> you can, you can. Um, but I think, you know, the first thing is to just observe, like do the ABC method, take a couple of weeks to kind of track it. If your child is verbal, have conversations with them about it. Like, hey, you know, mommy's noticing that you're doing this thing with your hair, right? Like, why does that happen? You know, make it a very casual conversation if your children are verbal. Um, and just kind of monitor them for a little bit. If you're noticing that it is something that happens more frequently in certain situations or something that's happening consistently without them realizing it, that is all valuable information for, for the next stages. If it's something that's not affecting their appearance, they're quite easily sort of distracted with other things then you know you can let it go bring it up and kind of bring their attention to it and say like hey you know maybe we can find something else for you to do if it really bothers you for some reason um, but if it's starting to cause bald patches in their hair and sort of a physical thing then you don't have to go to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist first. Go to your GP, go to your pediatrician, medical ask, doctors. Yeah, yeah. yeah, medical doctors are always the first um, sort of port of call. And I think that, you know, with, with psychology and psychiatry, we acknowledge that, especially in Malaysia, there's still so much fear. And so we tell people, if you have something that you're worried about, go to your medical professional, go to your physician, um, and they will be able to help guide you um, to the correct channels if that there's that hesitation. So yeah watch your kid kind of do the abc chart keep an eye out for things for the next few weeks um and if nothing is improved if you're still anxious and you're not sure then call me or go and see a medical <laughs> professional and find out 